Welcome to the Let's Talk Government podcast, a podcast that is provided for you by the Department of Government at Minnesota State University, Mankato, located in Minnesota in the United States. I am your host, Dr. Pat Nelson, the chairperson of the Government Department. I want to thank you for joining us as we explore different topics about government. Some may be surprising to you and some may not, so please enjoy. Welcome to Episode 8 of the Let's Talk Government podcast. Today, we are going to discuss dark tourism and memorials. I am joined by Dr. Beth Heidelberg from the Urban and Regional Studies Institute of Minnesota State University, Mankato. Dr. Beth Heidelberg has been with the Institute since 2003 as a professor in the Urban and Regional Studies program, the Master's in Public Administration and Community Management program, and the Master's in Urban Planning program. Dr. Heidelberg focuses her research on local government systems in the United States and heritage preservation policy as it applies to local government. A specialty in her research is um, dark tourism from the perspective of local governance. So thank you for joining me today. So let's start with the biggest question of all. What is dark tourism? Dark tourism is an old practice, but a newer area of study. It's uh, investigating sites associated with death, disaster, um, things that people tend to think of as ghoulish and macabre. There's a fascination with it, but nobody really wants to talk about it. Yet cities are directly impacted by the things that happen in their communities and the visitors that want to visit them, no matter how dark it may have been. So why is it so important for cities to understand how dark tourism may impact them? Well, cities eventually become known for the historic events, like I was saying. When those historic events are of a more dark nature, it, when, they're, when they're not comfortable for marketing purposes, people are still going to come. Cities still use that revenue that comes with those visits, but... It's, it's a very uncomfortable nexus between the desire for the revenue and being respectful to the victims of those events. And so how does a city manage in that context? So before we kind of get on further, could you give us maybe an example, one or two examples of some dark tourism um, places of interest or where a city might be impacted? Sure. Uh, I've actually studied uh, the city of Salem quite a bit because they are one of the best examples of dark tourism management that I've ever encountered. Um, in 1692, there were several of their citizens who were hung under very, what we consider today very flimsy evidence. Back then it was, you know, it's just what they did. Um, they were executed for witchcraft. And this became such an event that became identified with the city that we still talk about the Salem witchcraft trials. When you say, hey, I'm going to Salem, people are like, oh, you're going to go see the witch sites? And so people are visiting that site. Every year they have Halloween events that in integrate some of those witchcraft trial themes and they make millions of dollars off of it. It's not a huge city, but it draws millions of visitors every year because of its association with witchcraft and the occult. There's a lot of um, discussion in that city. There, there are a lot of residents who support this identity. There's also residents who do not because they don't want to be associated with the occult and they don't want to be associated with witchcraft. And 
even they don't want to be associated with the executions that took place. Uh, so the city of Salem has taken the example of the Salem witchcraft trials and use it for educational purposes. They use it as an educational platform for diversity, for memorializing victims that were pretty much innocent. Um, and so they don't ignore that past. They embrace it and they use it for a modern educational platform. Uh, likewise, the city of Clear Lake, Iowa, which is a much more regional example. In 1959, three young musicians hopped into an airplane took off and never reached their destination. Those musicians, Buddy Holly, Richie Valens, Dave Bopper, they, uh, they were well known. They were becoming super megastars. People in Great Britain were embracing Buddy Holly's music. They were actually one of the inspirations for the Beatles. And Clear Lake understands that they were a regional entertainment center before, but that crash really put them on the map. It made them internationally renowned. People visit Clear Lake, Iowa from all around the world because of that connection to the Buddy Holly, Richie Valens, and Big Bopper crash. And Roger Peterson, the pilot. We don't want to forget about him as well. Um, they, too, have done an excellent job of managing their dark tourism because they embrace that past. They acknowledge the role it has on the local economy, which is still in the multi-millions of dollars because people come to events commemorating that crash. So those are just two examples. I mean, I could literally go on and on, but I know we have a limited time. No, I think that those are great examples. I mean, other ones that kind of come to mind are like the 9-11 memorials in New York and in Pennsylvania where the airplane crashed. And internationally, there, this has to be a really big movement internationally, especially for like cities that are so much older than even the United States existed as a country. So very interesting. I mean, Holocaust sites, those are the prime example of dark tourism. The Cambodian killing fields, um, they're the Ghana slave castles. Everywhere around the world has their dark tourism sites. It is international issue. But again, nobody really likes to talk about it in the local government context. So what does happen to a city if they decide to just ignore it? You know, I don't, we don't want to acknowledge it. We don't want to deal with it. What kind of happens to a city when that happens? Well, we actually have a case of that in Amityville, New York. Um, you've heard of the Amityville Horror. Yeah, I'm, I'm assuming um, all the movies and all the sequels, as terrible as they are, um, we know that people are still visiting the house where the original murders took place. These are people who are not given any wayfinding. They aren't, fine, they aren't given any special treatment. The city does not talk about the original DeFeo murders that kind of prompted the whole Amityville story. They don't talk about the ghost story associated with the property on Ocean Avenue. People still come. People step on the property. They go up and they knock on the door because they want to go inside the house. They still take pictures and post it to websites. Recently, there was an estate auction at the site and the line was out the door because people wanted to see inside of that building. So ignoring it does not make it go away. It just makes it harder for the city to have any control over the narrative or to use it as an educational platform. So what would you say to somebody that says, well, why should a city acknowledge it? Doesn't that just glorify the violence or doesn't it just glorify the murders that might have taken place um, if they're buying into this dark tourism at these sites? 
that's exactly the conundrum that cities have to face. It, it can be seen as glorifying murder and it can be seen as blood money coming in because you're basically making local government revenue because somebody else's tragedy. And so that's, that's the balance. In Holcomb, Kansas, the in cold blood murders, it was a family that was murdered in their homes. Um, Truman Capote wrote a, an international bestseller on that case. And the local government acknowledges that people would probably not really come to Holcomb as a tourist destination, but they still draw people. So cities can, again, use it as an educational platform. In Holcomb, because it was a murder case, they chose instead to focus not on how the people died, but on their life. What did the Clutter family contribute to the city? And so it's one of those things that cities are never going to resolve. They're never going to resolve that it is, in fact, a ghoulish reason that people come to their communities. It's, it's got to be a dialogue between the citizens, the victims. This is very important. You should include the victims and any survivors in that discussion. Because if you don't, you are basically playing into the worst in people's natures. But some of the events are very old. In more recent events, that's going to be where you really have to involve the families. I gave the case of Clear Lake, Iowa. They have an annual winter dance party. They have treated the Richie Valens and Buddy Holly and Big Bopper story so sensitively that the Valens family actually moved to the area. They involved the Valens family. They involved the Richardson family. And, and they tried to involve the Holly family, who were a little bit more distant from it. And they had such an appreciation for how it was handled. Now, this is not the case in every, in every circumstance. There are going to be times when you can't use that input from the family in the way that they would want. The 9-11 memorial is a good example. Some people really embraced what they did with that memorial, but some of the families did not feel that it properly reflected what happened and who their family members were. And so there's a lot of um, disagreement on how that ha happens. But in the case of 9-11 in some of these larger cities, they had, people aren't going to New York specifically for that necessarily. Not all the time. I mean, some people are. But it's one of many places they're going to visit. Places like Salem, Holcomb, Clear Lake, Amityville, that's usually going to be the reason that people are visiting the city. So that's where the conundrum comes. So what happens if um, they decide, well, let's just tear the building down. People won't come. Is that true? Oh, no. <laughs> the, and here's a case out of Milwaukee. Um, the Jeffrey Dahmer site, they did tear it down. They tore down the apartments mostly because, you know, the human remains actually permeated into the structural integrity of the building. It, it stunk. It, it did not smell good. But people still drive by that empty lot to see where it happened. It gives people context. They want to either connect to the victims or they just want to see where it happened out of human curiosity. Last time I drove through there, which uh, I want to say that was about two years ago, people were still hanging signs on their, deck, uh, on their decks saying, don't stop here, keep going, nothing to see here. Uh, so it is still happening even though the sites are removed. So if we kind of look at a city managing dark tourism and a site, what are some logistics that they have to think about to manage um, the influx of people? It's not too much different than what a 
typical city would do if they have any point of destination, um, any point of interest in their tourism practices. They have to provide garbage pickup because people are gonna throw trash on the lawns of these oftentimes privately owned properties. They may wanna put additional police patrols out there to prevent any trespassing and any, um, any congregating and disruption to traffic. Um, they may want to provide larger pedestrian areas or places where people can kind of move off of the pedestrian path. They may want to add additional lighting in that area. Um, and these are just some of the more planning-based things. In Clear Lake, they used wayfinding methods to direct people from the highway to the surf ballroom, which is where that last concert was played. Um, they did that through hedging and, and lamp posts and lamp post flags, and they actually renamed it Buddy Holly Parkway. <laughs> um, so these are kind of the more physical things. The other management techniques that need to be considered is tourism planning in your comprehensive plan. Um, should there be a chapter included? Should you address the nature of what happened and the public interest in it? monitor how many people are coming so you can appropriately plan for it in the future. If interest is heavy in the early years and then kind of dies off, it may not be an issue. But if it is things like Salem, like Clear Lake, like um, any of the Holocaust sites, that interest just continues and even starts to build. And therefore you should probably include it in some of your planning practices. Also marketing and PR. So what do you how mean do you about marketing and PR? How can you connect the maybe a dark tourist site to another area of interest within a, a city? That's kind of the thing that Salem does very well. Come for the witchcraft trials, but here's our other things. This is what else we have to offer. We are not only this. And so people who were coming originally for the dark tourism may discover something new and different. And that's the marketing technique that a lot of people or a lot of cities use. Um, Clear Lake, come for our surf ballroom and our history connected to the crash. But here's our recreational opportunities. Here's our charming downtown that's been revitalized. Uh, let's see. Um, Holcomb, I haven't visited Holcomb. I have to admit that. <laughs> but they do have, you know, nice recreational opportunities. There's an agricultural um, community down there. Mm -hmm. So they do try to direct people. Not only they, they say, yes. This happened. It's terrible. We, but we're more than this. We are a community. We're a thriving, living community, and here's what we have to offer. So in your research, have you found any ideas about why people want to go to these dark tourism sites or even how they find out where they are? Oh, that's such a, it, that is actually where 99% of the academic focus is right now. Most of the focus is why are people doing this? Because obviously it doesn't always speak to the best of our nature. Mm -hmm. What they find is that people sometimes want to connect to the victims. They have such an empathy when they hear these stories that they kind of want to see what it was like. What's the context? What, did, what was the last thing these people saw? What, what was the aftermath? Some people want to try to figure out why it happened. They're so enmeshed in these stories that they try to get into the mind of the perpetrator, which is another story altogether. Mm -hmm. So it could be a connection either way. Some people just find these stories thrilling. You know, it's like reading a good novel that really happened. Um, so there's many, many reasons why people want to connect to this. With more recent events, oftentimes it's because there's such an empathy for what happened. And 
maybe that doesn't speak to the worst of our nature. Maybe it actually speaks to the best of our nature. So I, an example that I know of that is a, somewhat tied to dark tourism is the city of Medelia, which is just southwest of Mankato, has the Younger Brothers Days because part of the Jesse James gang, um, the Younger Brothers were part of it and they were involved in a shootout and one of the Younger Brothers died here and Jesse James got away. So they've created like a whole festival about it and almost use it as a way to bring tourists to Medelia. Are there any other really like historic events maybe in the Minnesota area that you Know about that help kind of draw on that dark tourism to bring people to the area or any that you can think of? Um, Adelia is a good one. Um, <laughs> I, I'm trying to think because I've done more of the outstate stuff, mm -hmm. so say happenings is one of the best uh, best examples. I do know that Mankato uh, will host some remembrance remembrance activities at the site of the hanging of the Native Americans down by the river, and so by acknowledging yes this happened here this was a horrible thing what can we learn from it um, it does draw people and it draws people not only from the Native American community but people who saw the story felt something about it and want to learn more so again is that the best or is that the worst of our our human nature maybe, maybe not so bad so how much is, um, and I know you're very much into historic preservation, so how much does dark tourism and historic preservation tie together on having sites that are deemed as needing to be saved or needing to be visited or historic? It's, uh, it's actually very enmeshed. Um, there's an academic argument that dark tourism is actually a subset of heritage tourism, which is the visiting of historic sites. And it, it's pretty much one in the same. It's up to a city whether or not they want to keep the historic site where these dark things happened. What do you do with it then? Do you turn it into a museum? Do you turn it into a private residence? The people in Amityville, the Ocean Avenue property, it's still a private residence. Well, they're also a dark tourism in, in uh, site. And that can be both a pro and a con. Does it drive up your property values? Does it drive down your property values? Uh, so a city itself can designate a property as historic. It doesn't necessarily have to be nationally recognized, but a city can designate it. And if they recognize the importance of certain sites to their community, it doesn't matter if it's dark or if it's not dark, it's, it could still have that historic designation. So saving the properties is that very direct connection and oftentimes that's why the tourists are coming they want to see that place yeah i remember when i went through gettysburg and some of the buildings that were still standing there one of the things the tour guide pointed out was look you can still see the bullet holes and the cannon you know where the cannons hit and that it always seemed a little bit macabre to me but now that I, we're talking about dark tourism that was part of the draw right you wanted to step back in time to history to when that happened so yeah, not just dusty old books. This is, those soldiers actually touched that spot. Mm -hmm. it, it's a fascinating connection between that history. 
Interesting. Well, I'm going to ask you about a more current event since we do see that memorials pop up, right? Where, when there's a significant event, and I'm going to refer to the George Floyd um, incident in Minneapolis that happened in May. We're, we're learning that there's a very significant memorial that includes paintings and flowers that they've literally closed down an intersection. How can a city deal with um, a memorial? Because people are coming there to visit that spot because that's where he died. How can they manage that? That's going to be a case, and I believe that in this case, because that was such a hotbed situation, that may be what I consider a lasting memorial. Some of these memorials will pop up, and then the next news event happens, and then the interest is still there, but it's not quite as fervent. I believe with this one, there will be a lasting event, and so city organizers are probably going to have to plan how are we going to deal with people coming here to commemorate Mr. Floyd and want to see the site and want to touch where it happened? Um, so <laughs> what's going to happen in Minneapolis? They're going to have to get talking about this very uncomfortable past. This is, this is a very recent history, but I think it will be a larger part of the Minneapolis story. So do they designate the Cup Foods building, Cup Deli as a historic site because of what happened? Typically, historic sites can't be designated until 50 years after the event, unless there's something particularly significant. City of Minneapolis may want to advocate for just that. And then they can get historic designations, they can do memorial planning, they can start planning for tourists. What they will need to do almost immediately is start monitoring how many people are visiting there each day, each month, et cetera, so they know how to plan. And that's really the city's role in most of this. That's actually really interesting. I didn't even think about the fact that there had to, be, there usually has to be a length of time before something can be designated as historic, obviously, but you still have to manage the memorial or the, the situation or the building as things are going on. So, and, so, and in this case, too, I'm sorry to interrupt, but no. in this case, too, I usually say that part of management is providing patrols in the area. Is that going to be an appropriate response to this, or will it have to be more of a grassroots community thing? Right. So it, it's an uncomfortable situation. So you did mention, I want to kind of go back to private ownership of a spot that is focused on dark tourism. What can a city do to support a private owner of a, of a building that has people coming just to see the building? Mm -hmm. um, local designation as a historic site that will give them special recognition from the city. And they may have something called an overlay district in that area just because of its historic significance. With an overlay zoning district, they can um, add specific restrictions that are site specific. Sorry, I'm kind of repeating myself there. Okay. And maybe one of those is that it's also designated like a, a tourist spot in XYZ, you know, extra garbage pickup, extra lamp, extra lighting needs to be placed in that overlay zone. Um, so cities can help the private property owner through local controls as it would in a normal circumstance. They can also work with the private property owner to see how do they want to handle their historic site. Um, this is actually, I'm glad you brought that up because that's actually a critical piece. Do the private property owners want to participate in dark tourism planning? Do they want their house to be continue? Do they want their house to be marketed as a destination? 
There are some cases, like in Villisca, Iowa, there was an axe murder in 1912 of, I want to say, five family members and two guests. Somebody brought the, bought the property. It's now running as a bed and breakfast called the Villisca Axe Murder House. So in some cases, the property owners want that notoriety. They want to work with the city to market and promote it because it's in their best interest, too. The Lizzie Borden House is also a bed and breakfast. Um, in some cases, like Amityville, it's a private citizen. They want no acknowledgment. And we're probably pretty grateful that the city has decided not to promote it or acknowledge it in any possible way, despite massive public international interest. Mm -hmm. So work with the property owners, find out what they want, find out what the survivors want. Mm -hmm. That's really the first place to start. Well, that's great. All right. Well, I've got one more question for you. How did you get into this line of research? What interested <laughs> you in it? <laughs> Honestly, when I was a kid, I was a huge Titanic buff, and it was the human stories that really fascinated me. I mean, what were these people thinking as they understood what was going to happen? Uh, as I got older, um, my father was a prison guard, and so he would often come home with some tales, and I was always kind of fascinated in true crime because of that connection. Uh -huh. uh, so, um, and again, the Holocaust, those human stories, not, not you know, what were the Nazis thinking? I wanted to know more about the people who were, who were experiencing this. Mm -hmm. It's just kind of a natural empathy that I had for them. Um, and so over time, I realized that this is a, as I got into historic preservation and local government, I realized nobody's researched how dark tourism impacts local governments. And when I started to do reading on it, because I, I think I saw an article somewhere about dark tourism, and I'm reading about the psychology and the why and what's going on. And I'm like, okay, so what about the cities? What about the citizens who are living in a dark tourism situation? And when I submit my first article, I actually got the comment, nobody's done this before. <laughs> So um, we're, I'm trying to open up this whole new facet of dark tourism research. Oh, it's, it's fascinating. I'm glad that you are going down it. And you are, you are addressing that side nobody ever thinks about. It's, it's the, how do we manage all these people coming to this spot that don't live here? And you can't just ignore it because then it just gets worse and worse or, or bigger and bigger. So oh, that's the citizens of that community. Mm -hmm. The citizens are, more than any dark tourism site, the citizens of that community need to be put in the, the front and foremost of planning for it. Right. And that's an aspect that, again, nobody talks about. Oh, that's great. Well, thank you, Beth, for joining me on the podcast. And everybody can tell we're real people because we've got dogs and kids in the background. But I'm, I hope that you can continue with your research and maybe we'll get to check in and talk more about dark tourism. Thank you. Well, thank you, Beth. Thank you for listening to this episode of Let's Talk Government. If you have suggestions for future episode topics or other areas you'd like us to cover, please visit our website at link.mnsu.edu backslash letstalkgov to submit your ideas. Join us every Tuesday for a new episode and thank you for listening.